We are going to be starting a new sermon series in 2 John. It's another epistle of John, and then we'll move to 3 John. In 2 and 3 John, the, the focus of the letters seem to be about truth. The letters uh, each contain about 300 Greek words each. And in 2 John, the word truth is mentioned five times in the first four verses. And in 3 John, the word truth is mentioned six times. And so it seems that the focus of 2 John is pointing to truth and mainly all honing in on this verse in verse 4 where he writes, walking in the truth. When John gets to writing this letter, he is an elderly man at this point, and you'll notice in verse 1 that he refers to himself as the elder. We know that John is a son of Zebedee. He provided pastoral care to the church in Ephesus, as well as cared for Jesus' mother Mary after Jesus' death in Ephesus. When travels ramp up again, you can travel to Ephesus and see all the ruins there. Uh, Mary's house is there. I do not think it's the original Mary's house. I think it's a tourist thing. But you can still there. It, it, it's, it's very much true that Mary lived there with John taking care of her. By this time, John isn't all that able to travel as he once did to visit this group that he's writing the letter to. And he writes towards the end of the letter in verse 12 this Sentence, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. But it's obvious he needs to write to them as he has this deep love for them and he's writing to them about truth and love. He writes about how their belief and, and love for the truth is lived out. He writes, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. That's verse 4. So we, we read here that there's this praise, and then there's also a warning. If you look down to verse 7, it reads, For many deceivers have gone into the world. Now we'll cover verses 7 through 13 next time. But let's just kind of get a really quick preview. John is warning against a full-on attack, a deception against the truth. And so John calls them deceivers. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. That's verse 7. John is warning those who are coming against this central truth of the gospel and not allow those false teachers to infect the body of believers. He's really, really concerned with guarding the truth. And he's not willing to compromise on being deceived. A temptation that we face today is to shrink from the Christian doctrine of truth, which is a well-defined within the embodiment of Jesus, within the gospel. John is encouraging his readers to share this truth with those who don't know it. Now, last week we looked at 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, where John wrote, And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Nothing has changed. The church in the first century faced this same onslaught against the truth, and 2,000 years later, we face the same thing. It's the same evil one. Now, I've heard many people say, we need to be like the early church. It, it's the same enemy. 
Nothing has changed. He, he still lies. He still lied back then to the first century church. He still lies to us today. Anytime the truth of Jesus is shared, you can be sure that the enemy is there to deceive. And it happened in John's day. It happens today. Today, we find many people who don't believe in the absolute morality and theology of Christianity. You might be questioning that very sentence I said because of how our culture has shaped us and everything that we've heard within especially the Bay Area. But it is Jesus who said this in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in a verse like that, even some have compromised what Jesus said there in the name of tolerance. And we as Christians are to be tolerant. But we can't compromise on the truth. We can't backpedal and redefine truth when confronted with something that's uncomfortable about the truth. We don't change the word of God to adapt to us. The word of God changes us. And it's really sad when people change the truth to conform to the world rather than conforming to the word to change who we are. Too many are turning away from the truth of the word of God. The Barna Group did a study that was released May 25th, 2016, and they found that 59% of practicing Christians believe that the Bible provides us with absolute moral truth, which are the same for all people and in all situations without exception. This means that 31%, about one-third, don't believe that that the one-third believe whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth that you can know, and that every culture must determine what is acceptable morality for its people. And this is 31% of those who claim to be practicing Christians. So one out of three people who look at John chapter 14, verse 6, don't believe what Jesus said about himself. So is it a surprise that those who claim to be practicing Christians aren't all that much more moral than someone who doesn't believe in Christ? Because if we can just pick and choose our truths based on whatever is right for us or whatever is best for us or that culture determines our morality and it's not Jesus then who really has reign over your life? If someone doesn't believe in the definable Jesus that we find in the gospel, then Jesus' lordship is not well defined. And if someone doesn't believe Jesus to be Lord, then there's no reason to believe what he said and to do as he commanded. And you can then believe something other than what Jesus taught and justify living as you want to live and not as he commands. So you see why the morality and integrity of some who claim to be Christians is so poor. There's no wonder why there is so much sexual immorality in our culture amongst those who claim to be practicing Christians. It's what happens when we don't walk in the truth. We walk in a lie. 
And when we walk in a lie, it breeds confusion. There are a lot of confused people who claim to be Christians. Walking in the truth, that's a difficult walk. It's a really difficult walk. When you think that you have it all figured out, there's that evil one who's more crafty as told to us in Genesis 3. When you think that that walk is just becoming easy, you just have to be reminded of 1 John chapter 5 where, where it read, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It is never easy. It is always tough to walk in the truth. Jesus did say in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Any which way you turn from within yourself or from outside of yourself, there's no escape from how tough it is to walk in the truth. And Jesus warned us of this. It's the truth. And it takes a whole lot of integrity to walk in the truth. Truth requires integrity, and we all know that our world lacks integrity. And since it lacks integrity, wouldn't it make sense that it also lacks truth? So why do we let the world define truth and morality for us? Because it's easy. Super easy. Who wants to deny oneself of their flesh? The things that their flesh wants. Who wants to deny themselves of that? But we do deny ourselves of things when we realize that walking in the truth is the better way. For example, those of you who exercise and, and you eat better, you're, you care about nutrition, you care about your health, you have realized that you can lengthen your lifespan by doing those good things, that you don't want to shorten your lifespan. You, you wake up and you go to work all the time, everyone. And you all want to sleep in. Nobody wants to just wake up and go to work, or there's very few. But you realize that this thing that you want more is to pay for food and shelter and insurance, and housing, and whatever it may be. And do you realize the spiritual practices of fasting, and prayer, and studying? And it's not until we realize the more difficult path of walking in the truth that leads us to truth that we won't do that very thing. We will always take the easier route and this is our world. We take the easier route. We take the easier path. How do you explain the destruction that is happening in the world with all the contaminants and pollutants that we're just letting out? It's easier. Why is there so much litter on our freeways when there is a trash can at every gas station that you have to visit to put gas in your car? It's easier. It's easier just to throw it out the window. It's just our human nature to go with the easiest thing that causes our destruction. And truth is oftentimes uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. It's harder. 
how else do we explain all that we hear in our world, though? There's so much spin in the stories that we hear. And it's challenging to even know what's the truth anymore. Stories are, are spun depending on which sides you're on rather than just simply telling the truth. And wouldn't it be great if we just had the truth? Which is why I can't wait till Jesus returns. It's just going to be truth. Just truth. No more lies. No more spin of stories. That's one of the many beautiful things about Jesus. That Jesus is truth. No lies. No ulterior motives. Pure truth. Wouldn't you just love to have that right now? To know what the truth is that's going on around our world all that we're going through in this pandemic, all that we're going through in our nation with this racial injustice, truth would be something right now that would be very, very welcomed. To just show us the truth. Show us the errors of our way. Show us how we're looking at things wrongly. Show us what we've been believing that's actually been a lie. And just give us the truth. Verse 1, it says, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Um, who's this elect lady and her children whom John wrote to? Well, you can read a bunch of commentators and scholars, and you'll, you'll get the whole gamut of who people think that this is. You have scholars who think that this is an individual, and you have even more scholars who think that this is a metaphor for the church, and then there are some who are honest enough to say that they just don't know. It seems to me that this is a metaphor for the church. Just as I read Peter from 1 Peter chapter 5 when he's addressing the church using a metaphor. And when I read this letter in its entirety, it seems to be addressing the church and not a particular person and their children. So that's why I believe that John is directing this letter to the church. Continuing on in verse 1, Whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who... All who know the truth. The priority of truth is love. There isn't love apart from truth, and there isn't truth apart from love. That Jesus is both. Jesus is love. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us and God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus is truth. John chapter 14 verse 6 reads, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus initiated love, and his love for us is sacrificial. Jesus' love for us is in relation to the truth of what he did for us on the cross. The love Jesus has for us is not simply feelings. Nor is his truth for us just simply intuitions. And this is really important for us to know because... So much of our world defines love and truth depending on how we feel and how we define it for ourselves. 
Thank God Jesus doesn't play on feelings to define his deep love for us and how truth is defined. His love and his truth is constant. It doesn't fluctuate up and down, hot or cold. Love is defined in relation to the revelation of God's truth ultimately in Jesus Christ. Our love for one another is not because of a shared interest as a church, nor is it even natural to love one another. Why do we love one another? Because Jesus changed who we naturally are. We still have that sin nature in us. We're still sinners who have these fallen thoughts about one another. But walking in the truth and living in love is deeper than how the world defines it and that it's feelings. It's that God's word has changed who we are. Continuing on in verse 1. Whom I love in truth and not only I but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Truth is knowable. It abides in us, and it will be with us forever. Let's read how truth and love play out in John chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17, then skip down to verse 21 to read through 24. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Down to 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 3 of 2 John. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. A standard Christian greeting of the time would have been grace and peace, but here John throws in mercy. Now simply defined, grace is what we're given when we don't deserve it. Mercy is is when we don't get what we do deserve. Now the freedom from sin that we've received from God, that is grace. The grace we find in Jesus, that punishment from sin that we deserved, but he withheld, that's mercy. I deserve that punishment, but it was withheld from me because of Jesus. Now John is letting the readers of this letter know, you've received both. You've received grace and you've received mercy. And then there's peace. Peace is the blessing that flows from grace and from mercy. It's the experience that one receives when we're reconciled with God 
when we are no longer separated from God, but we are in communion with God and we're in communion with Christ, God's only Son. And throughout John's Gospel, as well as his epistles, he's making sure that it's understood that the Father and the Son, they are one. He wants to make this really clear distinction because the false teachers of his time were teaching this heresy, leading people away from this belief of God. So be aware when others attempt to sow this confusion and distort any thoughts about Jesus' divinity and humanity because it's a very common tactic of the evil one. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Truth and love. Both. So important for us to speak in truth and love regarding real peace, especially in our days of division, chaos, disorder, spin. Our world needs peace, and it's only provided in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Now, how do we tell the world the truth and love them at the same time? That's the really challenging thing and walking in the truth is a very very difficult path to walk especially when we're trying to couple it with love because it's so easy to just walk in truth and become mechanical judgmental robotic and harsh with that truth but then you go to the other side and all you do is just love without any truth and then it just becomes sentimentalism and it has to be both But here's the thing, we do have something that people want, and that's peace. Do you really have peace to share with others? If you don't, then it's time to ask the Lord who has peace to give that to you. Our world needs peace so badly in these unsettled times. And it's only provided through Jesus Christ who did all that was necessary to give us peace when he died on the cross and rose again three days later to ascend to the Heavenly Father. Jesus is returning and when he does, those who know him will experience peace. And those who don't will experience judgment. How will people receive peace from God? It's not through our compromise of the truth. It's when we, as people of God, tell the truth and that the walking in the truth, we realize that that's not easy. But think about if someone asked how to get in shape. You can't lie and tell them it, it's really easy and uh, eat whatever you want and sleep as much or as little as you want and do whatever. The honest answer would be, it's hard. It's hard to be disciplined about your diet and your rest and your recovery and your exercise that it doesn't just happen. 
And it's similar to walking in the truth in that it, it's not easy at all. And we can't make believe that it is. It's counterintuitive to deny oneself and to take up the cross daily to follow Jesus. But it's the way to walk in truth and it's the way to receive peace. Verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Now here's the main purpose of the letter here. It's walking in the truth. And John rejoiced greatly that some did this. Isn't this a parent's greatest joy? There is nothing more than, I want, than what I want for my children than this. To walk in the truth with God, with Jesus. King David wanted this for his child Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. The people of our church would love this for each other. We'd love for all to walk in the truth. But you notice that there is this great rejoicing if even some do. Not even all, but if some do. That's how hard it is. You'd rejoice that even if some would just do it. The very first psalm speaks to this, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the winds drive away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We long for our children, our church, to live lives like this. And it's so unfortunate that not everyone does. So many have walked away from God. But thank God there are some who walk in the truth. And John rejoices in this. Verse 5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. John's call to love. And that, it's not a call from himself. It's a call from God. John 13, verse 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a command from Jesus that we love one another. And John's so humble about this because he includes himself in this command and he doesn't just tell others to do it. He, he's like, we are to love one another. Verse 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. The word command or a form of it is written four times in these last three verses we've been looking at. And love is obviously more than feelings. It's, it's experienced with obedience and one's will. 
Love and obedience, they go hand in hand. We've already looked at verses from John chapter 15. Let's go down to John chapter 15 this time, looking at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Love and obedience, they go hand in hand, and love is God's command. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We as Christians, we're not bound by the law. But it doesn't mean that we don't keep it. The law shows us our sin and it points us to Jesus as the only solution to cleanse us of sin. Jesus points us to the law not for sanctification, not for justification, but as a a framework of God working in our lives. There are things for us to do, things for us to live by, even though we're under grace. And love lives in obedience to God's commands. I encourage us to continue living in truth and love. We need both so badly in our world today. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us eyes to see the truth, conviction from the Holy Spirit to discern what is true and what is lie. I pray, Lord, that for all of us who have that truth, that we are able to also love. We need both. We realize, Lord, that walking in the truth is so difficult. We ask for your strengthening. We ask, Lord, for courage. For when we sense fear in our life, that discomfort, the inconvenience, the difficulty, that we would stay true and faithful to your truth. Not ours, not our culture's yours, as it is laid out in the embodiment of Jesus Christ and his gospel. We pray, Lord, for the truth and love to flood our lives so that we can share that with the world, sharing the peace that we have in being reconciled with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, I encourage you to bring those out and Let's take that together. We have the cracker as a symbol of Christ's body broken for us. And as we recognize this offering of peace that was given to us, that we can have communion with holy God. Let's take this together in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us.
We also have this other symbol, the symbol of Christ's blood and the fruit of the vine, that it cost his very life to reconcile us to God. He promises to return for us, and I can't wait for that when all truth is revealed, when all love is poured out on his children. Let's take this in remembrance of his promise that he is returning. Heavenly Father, this beautiful sacrament that you've created for us to partake in regularly, to remember what you have done for us, to remember the promises that you have made to return for us. I ask, Lord, that you make your church ready for your return. In Jesus' name, amen.